Shabbat Shalom, everyone. And good Shabbos. I just wanted to say that. It's been a while. Good Shabbos. Thank you, Mike. I have the wonderful privilege to stand at the Bema and to share something that I have been so eager to share with you. It's been a thought process and maybe even a teaching in the making since about 2015 when I was downstairs speaking with one of our brothers, John Dressel, about the temple, the sacrifices, the liturgy, and the prayers. And he said, you know, Dave, you should put a teaching together. And I was like, I think you're wrong. <laughs> so over the years, I've had the opportunity to lead us all in the liturgical prayers, along with Beth, as she does every new moon service. And I get excited about them. And sometimes I wonder if we all are on the same page, knowing and understanding the depth and the history and the reasons why we go through the liturgy. So through the years, my wife, Jeanette, and I, you know, I talk about prayer and liturgy and temple services and sacrifices. And she says, you know, you should put together a teaching. And I was like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. So we had the opportunity to say goodbye to our eggplant-colored, burgundy-beloved Sidor. We've been going through this Sidor for well over 20-plus years, 25 years maybe, um, very dear to our hearts. And we have ordered and received new Sidorim, new Sidors we will be making a transition very soon. When? We don't know exactly when, but it will be soon. If not next week, maybe the following week. But we do want to give everyone the opportunity to know that the transition will be being made and if you want to go through it one more time to say goodbye, then let me know. If everyone's eager to know what it's like, to experience the new prayer book, let me know and we can go from there. So, that's not part of the teaching though. I'm sorry? That's a, that's a freebie. That is a freebie. So, John, I appreciate you. If anyone wants to know what a good sense of humor is, it's John. John is the epitome of loving kindness and a great sense of humor. Jewish prayer and liturgy. Before the creation of the world and the universe, Hashem, God, he was. His existence always was, always is, and always will be. He sits and he dwells within the heavens. In the beginning, Hashem spoke and it was. In the books of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation are apocalyptic visions of Hashem in the heavenly temple on his throne. You are all highly educated. No one comes here casually. So I'm relying on you to know your Bible. We will not be flipping through the pages. You already know much of these things. And if not, I'm sure you will go home and study these this week. Flying above his throne in the heavenly temple are the seraphim, or the fiery angels, above the throne of Hashem. Around his throne are the living creatures with the four faces, the face of a man, the
face of an ox, a face of a lion, and the face of an eagle. Chayot HaKodesh, the living creatures. Under his throne, supporting his throne, are the cherubim, or the cherubim. The wheel within the wheel, the chariot. This wheel within the wheel is understood to be actual angels themselves. Wheel angels. Sounds funny, doesn't it? But they are understood to be angels. Ophanim. That's the name of the angels' names. One called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is Adonai Tzavaot. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is the temple service. A brief, very brief description of what goes on in the heavenly place. This sets the stage for us today. Written in Exodus, Moses saw the heavenly temple and was told to make a type or a shadow, a mirror's reflection of the heavenly temple in its worship service. This came to be the tabernacle that the children of Israel constructed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Once complete, Hashem's presence filled the tabernacle. He physically dwelt within the Holy of Holies. Here, the Kohanim, or the priests, would continually offer sacrifices to Hashem, and thus the children of Israel could offer sacrifices and draw near to Hashem. The Tamid, or the continual burnt offering, was presented on the altar twice daily, in the morning for the Shachrit service and once in the afternoon at the ninth hour for the Ma'ariv service. Once Israel was established in the land, and in Jerusalem, King Solomon constructed the stationary temple, the very first temple. Hashem's glory filled that temple. After the Babylonian exile, some of the children of Israel returned to the land, Eretz Israel, with Nehemiah the prophet and Ezra the scribe for, for, to, the, to fortify the walls of Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. This is where and when Ezra, the scribe, together with the men of the great assembly consisting of 120 prophets and sages, they established a standard text for prayer in Hebrew. They also instituted three times for daily prayer, morning, afternoon, and night. The makeup of the heavenly temple, the tabernacle, and both temples all connect, reflecting each other. All of this combined with the institutionalized prayers established by the men of the great assembly have vested the synagogue service to Hashem by the Jewish people and through the Jewish people before the destruction of the second temple. And it goes on even after the second temple's destruction and their exile. As we see, even when the temple stood, the prayer services and the sacrifices were intricately connected. There was no one or the other in Jewish thought. The songs and the prayers were always part of the sacrificial system that God gave to the Jewish people. This is how God said he wanted his people in Israel, in the land, in the temple, to worship him. Tragedy. On the 17th day of Tammuz, in the common era year of 70, the siege of Jerusalem began and the supply of lambs were cut off. Except for the time of the Maccabees, the Tamid sacrifice 
had been offered day after day for 500 years, and before the Babylonian exile, an additional 400 years. So, for almost a thousand years, morning and afternoon, the priests placed a lamb on the altar to burn continually before Hashem. Then it was all over. And the tamid, those continual sacrifices, could not be offered even to this very day. How could the Jewish people imagine worshiping God without the temple and the sacrifices? This was how God said he was to be worshipped. Now it's impossible. The grief, the sorrow, the separation from God must have been almost unimaginable. But even before the temple was destroyed, if not decades before the Roman siege of Jerusalem, the Greek-speaking Jews, the disciples of Messiah Yeshua, the readers and receivers of the epistle of Hebrews, were asking themselves this question because they were kicked out of the temple. How do we worship Hashem and draw near to him? The answer is found in the book and the prophet of Hosea. Hosea 14 says, Return, O Israel, to your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words with you and return to him and say to him, Take away all our iniquity and accept what is good, so we may repay with offerings from our lips. The Greek Septuagint, actually the offerings comes from the Tree of Life Bible. The Septuagint actually translates the Hebrew into Greek saying fruit of our lips. We may repay with the fruit of our lips. In this verse, the phrase offering or fruit of our lips is not very accurate according to the Hebrew. The Hebrew literally says, take away all of our iniquity and accept what is good so we may repay with the bulls, like as in the bovine, the bulls of our lips. But that sounded strange to those who later translated the Jewish text into Greek. So those translators changed the Hebrew word slightly to say fruit. And then in English, it says offering. But Hosea knew what he was trying to say to his audience. The Hebrews, who were offering sacrifices not in the temple in Jerusalem, which is the only place where they were to offer sacrifices, but they were offering sacrifices to golden calves, one in Dan and one in Bethel. What did the prophet call for them to do? He called them to return, to repent, to offer the bulls, the offerings, the fruit, the words of our lips, which are words of repentance, the words of prayer. Before the destruction of the second temple, Yeshua referred to the second temple as his father's house, and his father's house was a house of prayer. It's important to know these things. So many times as Western world Americans, us West Michigan, Michiganders, we think, oh, the temple, right? 
slicing bulls, goats, put them on the fire, burn some incense, go about their day. And Yeshua said that that house was his father's house, and that house was a house of prayer. Looking closely in the New Testament or New Covenant readings in Luke, it says Yeshua and his disciples were devoted to worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem continually. That ties into continually the offering was sent up, the tamid. Every day, it says in Acts 5, verse 42, being devoted to the prayers in Acts chapter 2, we find Yeshua and the disciples, even after Yeshua's resurrection and ascension, the disciples still went to the temple to pray. The set times of the prayers were Shachrit and Ma'ariv, when a fresh lamb would be placed on the altar to burn morning to afternoon, then from afternoon throughout the night, a sacrifice continually before the Lord. This is what it means to pray continually. To pray the prayers at the time of the Tamid morning and afternoon sacrifices. We read to pray continually, but can you do that when you're cooking dinner? Maybe. What about if you're yelling at your kids? Can you pray continually then? Maybe you and your loved one are having what Jeanette and I would call heated fellowship, right? <laughs> There's times you, you really can't be praying. So the word continually would be tied into that continual sacrifice. The words of our lips, the bulls of our lips, they're tied together. So let's stop. And I know that I've hammered this one over the years during our liturgical services, but I want to revisit it because there's many things that I've said during the liturgy that I am going to be hopefully not saying anymore because the amount of prayers that we want to institute here will be a little bit more deep and a little bit more thorough and for me to, for us to let go of the hands of instructions will be good and we can grow and step up in the prayers that we say each and every week. The English word prayer comes from the old English prithy, prithy. It means to wish or request. That's, that's the end of prayer right there, begging God. I'm having a hard time. Help. Now, this is praying, but it is much more than that. The word tefillah is prayer in Hebrew, and to tie that in with the different meetings will come with its definition as I progress. But tefillah is tied into the avoda, or avodah, the service of the temple, which is also the service of our heart. The Yiddish word for prayer is davin or davenin, which derives from the French davant, which means before, as in know before whom you stand. That's what it means to, to daven in prayer. The siddur is the, is the order of the prayer service, just like the order of the temple service, reflecting the order of true temple worship, which we are asked and told to do. Tefillah, prayer, is the service that the angels 
the Levitical priests and the children of Israel all participated in within the temple and the synagogues. Jewish people have committed to serving Hashem this way for over 3,200 years. As disciples of Yeshua, we serve Hashem with prayer alongside and being grafted in with the Jewish people. Tefillah, a word that's connected with that is palel. It means to envision. It's part of prayer. We pray to envision. Palel, to connect, mediate, or judge. Palel also means self-reflection. So when we pray, we know who it is before whom we stand. And we envision, we connect with Hashem. We judge ourselves in self-reflection according to his word and his holiness. When we pray, we pray to envision and connect with Hashem, our Father, our God, and our King. It's important to realize that he is our Father, but not just our Father. He is our God, but not just our God. He is King. Since the structure of the Amidah, which is the core of the service that we prayed today, there was a, it's also called Shimoni Esra, the 18 blessings. And these can differ from the Shabbat day to the, the uh, weekday prayers. The prayers and blessings that are before the Amidah are praises of Hashem that are said, sang, and chanted to prepare ourselves to approach the Holy One. We don't come before him unprepared. Much of this preparation is found in the Siddur through the Pasuke de Zimra. These are verses of song or verses of praise. Pasuke de Zimra, which consists mainly of the Psalms, and the Psalms was known as being like the hymnal of the temple. Also, readings from Chronicles. In Pesuka de Zimra, some messianic cedarim, like the one we recently will introduce, also includes portions from the reading of Revelation. This brings us to the Amidah prayer. It's like entering the holy place. Once the Amidah is prayed, and thus we are in his presence, we are ready to receive his word, his holy Torah. At this point, now we can palel, we can envision him, connect with him, and judge our lives according to his Torah. After these things, we dismiss ourselves from his presence, coming back down the mountain, just like Moses left the presence of Adonai with the word of Hashem, bringing it among the people. We dismiss ourselves in his presence, coming back down the mountain to our secular, physical lives with the truth of his Torah within us, praising him and thanking him as we take leave of his holy presence. I wrote down some notes on the Amidah. We are familiar with many of these. I also included the blessings in the Amidah that are said within the weekday portions. They start with the praise of both fathers, Gaburot, 
for Hashem's might, and the Kedushah are all said on Shabbat day. These begin our prayer service of the Amidah with praise. Only on Shabbat is Vashamru and Eloheinu, where the other three are said during the weekday prayers as well. After we praise him, the Amidah during the week transitions to personal petition. The fourth blessing is enlighten us with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. The fifth one, after we've been enlightened, turn us in repentance. Repentance is a gift. After we've been enlightened and repent, then we ask for forgiveness. Then we ask for him to redeem us. And then we ask for blessing. These are part of the personal petitions. Then in the Amidah, it transitions from personal petitions to communal. Gather us or regather us. Bring in the exiles. Then rule over us. Then humble us and may the wicked perish. And then reward the righteous. And then rebuild Jerusalem. And then renew the kingdom of David. And then have compassion and hear our prayers. Bring favor and restoration. These are part of the weekday Amidah prayers. Returning to the weekday and the Shabbat prayers, we re after we've praised him, after we've asked for our own petitions, after communally we've petitioned Hashem together for the body, for all Israel, we return with gratitude and thanksgiving, closing out the Amidah with Moedim of the rabbis for divine service, and Moedim Anachnu for thanksgiving. During this time is Berkat Kohanim, the Aaronic blessing. The final culmination of all of this in the Amidah prayer is Sim Shalom, peace, when all things are made true. Although one may pray whenever and wherever, provided that it's an appropriate location for an exchange with the creator. For example, when you're using the restroom, it's recommended not to pray, but there is a blessing for after using the restroom, for Hashem having openings and cavities within our body that are not burst, ruptured, or blocked. Jewish tradition encourages communal prayer also. So the liturgy, the temple service, the synagogue service is the prayer. It is how we pray corporately, communally together. It's not the only way. It's only one avenue of prayer reflecting the heavenly place. It is not our God is my father one-on-one -on -one connection. There's more to be spoken of in those times. Jewish tradition encourages communal prayer. The reason is twofold. A venue designated for prayer is one where God is more readily accessible. In fact, a synagogue is considered a miniature replication of the holy temple in Jerusalem where God's presence was prevalent. So Hashem is here in his presence with us today. But not to the extent like it was in the temple or the tabernacle. But that wasn't to the extent of what his presence is in the holy place. But because his presence is here and in synagogues 
and even in churches around the world. It is right and fitting for the children of the Lord to pray together in a holy place. Another reason to pray communally is joining with others gives each individual the power of the community and their collective deeds and merits. This doesn't go over very well in some circles, but believe it or not, you are made in the, in the image of Hashem. You all have a spark in him, and even if you sin, you are still doing good at the same time. You are still the face of Hashem. You do have some good in you. But even more so, a reason apart from these two reasons is it is an incredible blessing to join with others who individually put their faith and trust in Yeshua's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his merit, to the heavenly temple serving as high priest, Cohen Hagadol, with all the angels, as in the beginning, before our Father, our God, and our King. Blessed is he. Hashem, may you bless us with eyes to see you, with ears to hear you, with a heart and a mind to know you more. Bless us on our journey to your kingdom, even within your kingdom now. Our Father who art in heaven, holy, holy, holy is your name. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Do not lead us into hard testing, but deliver us from the evil one. For it is your kingdom and your power and your glory forever and ever and ever. Amen.